The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? Network. I'm Bruce Nolan. There's no Nate Geary, but this is still Food for Thought. That's right. A show combining two of your three favorite F words, food and football. And the third F this evening is feelings, because we're all up in our feelings today. I'm up in my feelings today because we have an opportunity to reflect upon the Buffalo Bills drafting a corner high who has athletic traits. And I got to be honest, I'm really happy about it. We haven't had a chance to talk. Kair Elam was in my second tier of cornerbacks, but he has tools. He has the gap between what he is now and what he is likely to become with good coaching. It is exactly the type of player that fits the archetype of what you are historically used to seeing from this regime high in drafts. So let's go to the comments section. Join some people. Andy Anderson says, to be honest, I'm a little confused by the Bernard pick. We're going to get to that. I think confused is fairly, fairly common. And I would say confused is a little bit of the way I'm feeling right now. Casper says day two of the draft wrapped up and that's the way the cookie crumbles. Darn straight. It is absolutely. It is. So let's chat a little bit. Me and you, we're just going to go for a little bit here. There's been a lot of draft coverage all sorts of times over the last couple of days. 
I'm not going to beat a dead horse by any means, but I want to chat a little bit. And we're going to have some food chat as well because that's what we do. Liam in the comment section says, can't have food for thought without a good cook, like a James Cook. I am all the way in, just so you know, on all the puns. In case you were wondering, I am absolutely a punderful sort of guy. All the way in on all of the, if they're really, really awful, like granddad level puns, I am all the way in on them. Joe in the comment section says, only thing left to do, move up and draft a punter. I mean, basically, yeah, right? That's basically it. We are going to start right off the bat by just easing our way into the conversation with the foods that you have consumed thus far for draft weekend. I will tell you, my wife made gumbo. Because that's kind of like a tradition for the draft for us. We had some gumbo, but she wasn't really feeling it too much today. So historically, tomorrow we would have leftover gumbo. But given the fact that she wasn't really feeling it today, I think we might try and pivot and do something different. But I love the gumbo. I think it's wonderful all the time. And I think that we started doing gumbo right around the time that Tredavious White ended up being drafted by the Bills from LSU. I think that that's when the tradition of doing gumbo kind of came to pass so that's what i had but i don't think i'm gonna have it i don't think i'm gonna have it tomorrow and he says udon noodles and chicken goiza dumplings tonight oh my goodness gracious andy um if i wasn't if i wasn't fbi i would you know make sure that i asked where you were and i'd come get some of those dumplings so let's talk about kayur elium before we get anywhere else, before we go anywhere else, let's talk about Kair Elam. So as I mentioned, Kair Elam was a tier two cornerback for me. And I had Gordon over him. I had McCreary or over him. But the traits are a real thing. I think it's interesting that Derek Stingley went number three overall because it's been talked about ad nauseum this particular offseason that Derek Stingley's best tape was in 2019. Well, Kair Elam's best tape was in 2020. He fought through some injuries in 2021, but his best tape was 2020. You could make an argument that 19 was better than 21 as well. So probably if I was ranking the three years, it'd be 2020, 2019, 2021. So he's coming off a year of down tape. The reason why I think this is interesting is that if you look at mock drafts from much, much earlier in the year, like before the year started. Kair Elam was, again, supposed to be a really high pick. This is not an uncommon occurrence for the Buffalo Bills. Ed Oliver was a player like that. A.J. Epinesa was a player like that. Gregory Russo was a player like that. So not only do the Bills like traits, and they like the gap between what you are and what you can become, the Bills like to buy low with their high picks. They bought low on Gregory Rousseau. They bought low on Ed Oliver. They bought low on AJ Epinesa. They bought low on Kair Elam. And I think one of the things that you have to do if you're an organization that is consistently picking in the back half of the first round is you have to find a competitive advantage. You have to find a flaw that other people are going to wait highly enough for a player to fall to you that you think you can overcome, whether that's an off-the-field thing, whether that's a specific physical trait that you feel like you can minimize. 
it's not just about maximizing the positives. It's about minimizing the negatives. And if the Buffalo Bills think, hey, you know what we can do? We can minimize. We can buy low on a player who we've seen flashes of, but maybe it was two years ago. Maybe it was a year and a half ago. Maybe the player opted out like Gregory Rousseau. Maybe their best year was before, and because of that, their value is going to be a little inflated. But we feel like we can get 2020 play from Kyrie Elam. Maybe that's a strategy to take into consideration. But when I look at Kyrie Elam, you know what we're going to do. We're going to compare him to a food. And the reason why I brought all that stuff up is Kyrie Elam is really good pizza that's been reheated. That's Kair Elam. He is my draft food metaphor for this evening. And it's really good pizza that's been reheated. You know what the pizza was like the last time you had it. You know what the pizza's like at its peak. You might not be consuming it at its peak, but you know the potential for that level of quality is there. And so because of that, you're not shied away because you know you're eating reheated pizza. When you eat really good pizza and then you have it the next day and it's reheated and it's not quite as good, you don't get mad about it. You're not like, gosh, I'm never going to go back to that pizza place ever again because the current form that I am consuming this pizza in is not 100% of what it could be. You know that. You absolutely know that. But, but... You still know that that pizza place can deliver high quality pizza. So that's exactly what you do. You recognize that Kair Elam is probably only available in the back half of round one because his 2020 film wasn't as good. Sorry, his 2021 film wasn't as good as his 2020 film, which wasn't as good as maybe Derek Stingley's 19 film. So you're drafting these players based on their peaks, but you might not be in the peak when you do it. So for me, that's why Kair Elam is, as a draft pick, reheated, high-quality pizza. Taylor, in the comment section, says he had a sous vide prime strip, 122 for 145, then finished in a skillet. That's what I'm talking about. Reverse sear, Taylor. It's the way. You know. This is the way. Buff on Wex says pizza could be even better round two if it's warmed up on a pizza stuff. Oh, man, I, I can't get there. Guys, I can't get there. I know that people speak highly of certain methods of reheating pizza. And I've had good reheated pizza. I'm an air fryer reheated pizza guy, just so you know. But it's still not the same as the first cook. It's just never going to be the same as the first cook. I just can't get behind this idea that reheated pizza is actually better. And I've heard people say this before. It's not an uncommon thing. I just can't get behind it alex spencer says i had college dining food on purpose you had it on purpose alex D could you not get them to stop force feeding you that karen says that her pizza today was reheated <laughs> well and you know exactly what i'm talking about so the food simile for this evening is about day two of the draft how did day two make me feel so day two with Terrell Bernard, linebacker from Baylor, and James Cook, running back from Georgia, 
it made me feel like I really, really, really just needed to eat something. And I had something. I pulled through a drive-thru and I had something reasonable. And then when I was done with it, I was like, I mean, all right, I did it. I don't really understand why I did that. I think I was impulsive because I was hungry. But, I mean, I, I got food. I got fed. That's the way I feel after today's pick. On James Cook, I go, yeah, okay, sure. I get it. If you're going to take a player in the second round as a running back, I would prefer they be a workhorse, and I don't know if that's necessarily what James Cook is going to be for this team. So I'd like to take a running back in the second round that you can force feed, you know, 12 to 15 touches to. But if you look at him like a James White type of player, probably not worth a second-round pick. If you think he's Alvin Kamara, then sure. But I don't think he's Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara has elite contact balance. And James Cook doesn't. But he's a weapon. And he's someone who, when you talk about a running back being a weapon in a pass game, a lot of times people mean, oh, he can... He can catch a check down and he can make somebody miss and pick up some extra yards. When I say that James Cook is a weapon in the pass game, I legitimately mean that you can line him up as a receiver because a lot of times people say that most of the time they're lying. Most of the time when someone says, hey, you can line him up as a receiver. They they're lying. They're absolutely lying. They're not lying with James Cook. You absolutely can't. You see him lined up wide and in a slot running double moves, running wide receiver routes. So it's a unique sort of weapon. So the best way to think about it, the best way to think about it is it's a hybrid wide receiver running back. The Buffalo Bills were interested, was rumors to be interested in Wandale Robinson, who of course got taken by Joe Shane earlier in the draft. If the Bills were actually looking for this hybrid wide receiver running back, it would seem to make sense that James Cook would be that guy. And it would also make sense that they would have been interested in Wandale Robinson. But of course, Joe Shane, who used to work for the Buffalo Bills, knew that they were interested in Wandale Robinson, picked him up ahead of time to go get his own dude. And the Bills said, well, fine, we'll just trade back twice. We'll get James Cook. We'll be perfectly happy with our running back wide receiver hybrid. And then tomorrow, we'll use those extra six that are accumulated to trade up from the fifth into the fourth or the sixth into the fifth. Just so you know, utilizing all four of the sixth round picks, if you used all of them to trade up, it would get you to the beginning of the fifth. So it's not like you can trade all of them up all the way up into the fourth. That's probably not going to happen. So, Boo Brub 23. Thank you for the super chat, man. I really appreciate that. He says, go up and get Calvin Austin for some fast food. Dude, I am all the way in. You guys know... I love me some Calvin Austin. I, I, I really do. I think that he's not just a slot player. I think he's got the release package necessary to be able to win on the outside. I think there's a significant amount of dynamism there. If you can get a player like that on day three, I'm all the way in. I think Calvin Austin walks in the door better than Isaiah McKenzie walked in the door into the NFL. So I am all the way in on getting Calvin Austin. I'm also a Khalil Shakir guy from Boise State. Um, I think that there's a... a a smidge of Amon Ra St. Brown to Khalil Shakir. So I am all the way in. Ryan Bailey says, I would love Rucker day three. Just so you know, Ryan, uh, Rucker, Jeremy Rucker, uh, tight end Ohio State, went to the New York Jets. He's already off the board. 
So can't do that. Spin says the best thing about our third round was Kyle Brandt. It's fun. It's fun to have the energy from Kyle Brandt. Um, it, it doesn't land on me the same way that it lands on a lot of other people, but I will say that it, it's fun to have that level of energy. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. So Buff says the Bills roster is good enough to get what they're really craving and not settle what's, for what's being served. Dar- you know what? Darn straight. That's what I'm talking about. Make a food metaphor. You can go get what you want. I had an economics professor one time who told me that the definition of being rich is going to the store and getting the things you want, not the things that are necessarily on sale when it comes to groceries. You go to the store and you go, hey, I want Cocoa Krispies. I'm going to buy Cocoa Krispies. You say, yeah, I want to go ahead and buy those because I want them, not because they're on sale. The bills are in that spot. Go get the players that you want. So if you have somebody who's in the fourth and you want to use a five and a six to trade up into the fourth and get it, go, go, go do it. Go get them. Because one of the concerns with trading down is, of course, that you don't have that many players who you think might make this team. So use them to target, but you need ammunition to do that. And Brandon Bean was able to do that. Now, let's talk about the Terrell Bernard pick. I like watching Terrell Bernard play football. I always have liked watching Terrell Bernard play football. Now, I don't like evaluating 3-3-5 linebackers. So he played in a 3-3-5 for Dave Aranda at Baylor. And I actually tweeted out earlier this offseason that I really do not like. I really do not enjoy evaluating 3-3-5 linebackers. It's just, it's frustrating because the fits are weird to look at. It just doesn't quite do to my brain what four down linemen should do to my brain so i don't like evaluating him but the thing that makes it a weird fit for me the thing that makes it a super weird fit for me is hey he's kind of like a matt milano he's a little bit more explosive than a matt milano but he looks like matt milano from a size perspective from a general aptitudes perspective and you think to yourself okay What's the path to playing time here? Because a third-round pick, you, know, you, you have players who could come in and compete. What's the path to playing time here? So he's not going to usurp Matt Milano. And if he was someone who you thought was going to take over for Tremaine Edmonds, are you going to ask him to do Tremaine Edmonds stuff? That seems weird, too. Did you just draft a third linebacker at, you know, the third round? That, that, that's weird too. So the path to playing time is very strange. And let's be honest, path to playing time on day three, path to playing time in the sixth round doesn't really matter. But path to playing time is a thing when you're in the third round. And so that's what makes it so confusing to me is you think to yourself, okay, you had a chance to get someone like Dylan Parham who could probably come in and be the guy after Saffold left. So there's a clear path to how he could get on the field and contribute to this team long-term. With Terrell Bernard, you're like, yeah, I, I love to watch him play. For somebody else, it makes a better sense. It makes a better fit somewhere else. So that's kind of weird. Castellan says, Bruce, what's the fallacy when someone says, oh, you know more than Bre- Brandon, Bre- yeah, excuse me, Brandon Bean, huh? Oh my gosh, you are. You are speaking my language, ladies and gentlemen. So this is called the appeal to authority fallacy. I did an entire podcast on it last offseason. 
So you can go back and find that on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. It is a logical fallacy that assumes that people who know more than you, which we can all agree Brandon Bean knows more than us, that makes them infallible. So knowing more than me doesn't make you perfect. Just like me knowing less than you doesn't make me without any negative, without any positive traits. That's not how it works. So the fallacy is the appeal to authority fallacy. It's the same thing where you go, well, Brandon B made the pick and he's the GM. So you must think you know more than him. No, I don't think I know more than him. I think I disagree on this one thing. And well, you, you what you can't disagree with Brandon B. Why is Brandon B never wrong? Is that the way it works? Because if Brandon Bean is perfect, then you can use him. You can use the appeal to authority fallacy if Brandon Bean never screws up on anything ever. But as long as there is a 0.001% chance that Brandon Bean could screw up on something, then guess what? We're allowed to have our own opinions. We're allowed to have opinions that don't match Brandon Bean. Now, the criticism should be based in logic and should be reasonable and should be respectful and we shouldn't lose our tempers about it. But the fact of the matter is, People try to weaponize their trust against you. And that happens all the time. They try and weaponize their own trust against you. We try to assign our emotional salience to somebody else. So I really love dogs. But it doesn't matter what I do in life. I can't make you really love dogs. Imagine how idiotic I would be if I got really mad at you because you don't love dogs the way that I love dogs. That's a really dumb stance to take in general. It's the same thing with this. Well, I trust Bean implicitly. Well, no one's saying we don't trust Brandon Bean. We do trust Brandon Bean. We like Brandon Bean. But he's not infallible. No one's infallible. So just, just, I guess we just sit around. We twiddle our thumbs. And then the second a pick gets made, we all cheer. That's what we do? Okay, cool. That's boring. We're all going to sit around and just twiddle our thumbs. Not even bother to have any opinions. Because what's the point of having an opinion? If I say, man, you know, I really don't like, uh, I really don't like Dylan Parham. And then the Bills pick Dylan Parham. Boy, I, I have to just be intellectually dishonest now. I have to change. Because Brandon Bean picked him and he's infallible, right? No, of course not. It's intellectually inconsistent and it's intellectually wrong to do it. So I don't, I don't really dialogue with people like that. I don't dialogue with people like that because they're not intellectually honest. And intellectual honesty, kind of a big deal for Bruce. I kind of want it to be something in my life where I surround myself with people who are intellectually honest because they challenge me to be intellectually honest because one of the most important things you can be in life is intellectually honest. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't say you're going to do one thing and do something else. Don't say you believe in one thing and then act a different way, and then try and backtrack. But that's the way it works. So I don't really dialogue with, you think you know more than the team, people? Because I know if my criticism is reasonable, I know if it's based in logic, and I'm completely willing to admit when I've screwed up. So is Brandon Bean. Brandon Bean is absolutely someone who admits when he screws up. Ah, we didn't really do this right. We should have done this. I should have gotten Derek Anderson a little bit sooner. I should have gotten that quarterback room a little bit more fortified for Josh Allen. So he's allowed to make a mistake. But if I were the one to say that he made it, then I'm wrong. 
because I, I think I know more than the team. But but he said he made it. So he's allowed to say he made it, but I'm not allowed to say he made it. So you know what? If you're one of those people out there who is disappointed by the pick that the Buffalo Bills made in the third round, go at it. I'm not going to sit here and beat you over the head with my own trust of my own team and try and invalidate everything that you're feeling. I'm not going to do that. And you probably shouldn't have people in your life who are going to have you do that. Andy says, I trust Bean, but I think he made a mistake at 89. Okay. Absolutely. Those things can coexist. Those things can coexist. Rob says, what advice do you have for someone who's not a dog person, whose significant other requires a dog in the near future? Oh, the best thing I can tell you is try to learn to become a dog person. Um, dogs are a miracle. Dogs are absolutely a symbol of pure grace wrapped up in an organism. Um, I am a massive dog person. But spend some time with dog. Spend some time with dogs in general. See if you can possibly become a dog person. If not, maybe you can compromise with a different type of animal. Unless you're just not an animal person at all. In which case... I don't know what to tell you. Sorry. Jeremy says, Bruce, as to anti-authoritarian thought, um, you're talking to football fans in Western New York. Not exactly the most nuanced folks. Hey, listen, uh, this is the, this is how I feel about football fans in Bill's mafia. They have embraced me. They have shown me grace. They have allowed me to be myself and accepted me for that. My level of, my level of respect and reverence for the group of people who have accepted me and brought me into their own absolutely knows no bounds. You cannot convince me that the people who listen to my show and interact with me are not some of the best people I know. You can't because they put up with me. <laughs> so as far as I'm concerned, they're far more infallible than any football team will ever be because they put up with me. Now, we are going to move along because we have we have an email to get to. I know it's it's weird. We actually have an email that we're we're going to actually get to. And we don't usually get to emails on this show because we usually have guests that we have to deal with. We have interviews that we have to deal with. There are other things at play that stop us from being able to do what we want to do. Now, Andy says that the third F in food for thought stands for feelings now which I, I i said yes it stands for feelings because i'm probably all up in them now let's talk about feelings when it comes to let's expand a little bit on andy's email here the feelings that i had when the buffalo bills selected kair elam was a little bit about isolating the variable someone mentioned this in the comment section earlier today and i can't find it but isolating the variable was a very common common phrase when we were evaluating Josh Allen you wanted to surround him with talent so that you could isolate the variable you could know if it was him you see all these all these NFL teams aside from the Bears trying to do it with their young quarterback where they want to surround him with enough talent that if he fails they know it was him this is a very similar way to the way that I feel about drafting Kair Elam the Buffalo Bills have run a very simple coverage scheme for a lot of Sean McDermott's tenure. And 
it's easy to say that the reason they did that is because they didn't have the corners to do anything different. Now they do. We're isolating the variable with Sean McDermott and we're isolating the variable with Leslie Frazier. So absolutely, 100%, the way I feel about this is very similar to the way I felt about signing John Brown and Cole Beasley and remaking the offensive line and then going out and acquiring Stephon Diggs. Because you're isolating variable. You're just doing it with coaches instead of with players. Castellan says, my favorite thing about drafting Kyrie Elam was how many people instantly congratulated Bruce on Twitter. I'll level with you. It was one of my favorite, 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 favorite moments being on social media in my entire life. Because it just, I'm not going to get emotional. It's not going to be, a, it's not going to be a thing, but it just shows you how many people out there actually care about you. Even if it's just a little bit, you know, it, the fact that you take a couple moments out of your day and you tweet at me and you tell me that you're, you're happy for me. Cause I got the, we all have this inside joke now together. You know, we all have this group as a group. We have this inside joke about being part of something when it comes to CB2 and it's funny. It absolutely is, but it's also kind of sweet and it feels like you're part of something. And as a guy who does not have, admittedly, I've said this before, I do not have a large friend circle. It is kind of neat to be a part of that. And it is kind of neat to have people out there who are part of this. Andy says, for what it's worth, I kind of wrote off Bill's fandom social networks prior to discovering the Nick and Nolan show. I started listening to Bruce and he convinced me I should find every Bill's game out of market and watch them. I am glad, Andy. I am I am really glad. Josh says, I would love to have been a fly on the wall in the draft room when Alex Pierce, Sky Moore, and George Pickens went off the board in three straight picks. I agree with you, Josh. I absolutely do agree with you. I 100% believe that the Bills trading back was predicated by the fact that Pierce, Moore, Pickens, and Wandale Robinson were all gone. And that's why they said, well, we'll just trade back, trade back, trade back, and we'll take our pass weapon out of the backfield instead of our pass wide receiver out wide. We'll just take that weapon later on, and then we'll try and move up if there's a receiver we really like in round four using the sixes that we acquired. So yeah, that's... I. I absolutely agree with that concept, 100%. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to finish this off with winners and losers from the draft so far. And you know I'm going to absolutely despise saying this. You you know I'm going to hate saying this. But my biggest winner so far for this entire draft is the New York Jets. It is. I don't love it. I'm not happy about it. You're not happy about it. Literally nobody's happy about it, but Brees Hall to add to Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson. I will say that I thought Michael Carter was good enough to be the dude. I thought he showed enough last year to be the dude, but you know that Brees Hall is essentially the Raheem Mostert of the Jets right now. And that system, the extra wide zone system that you see is predicated on speed more so than anything else. And last year, the Jets probably wanted to 
get a different running back than Michael Carter. They kind of settled for Michael Carter, but apparently he didn't convince them that he was the dude. So they went and got Brees Hall. So I'm not thrilled about that. Garrett Wilson, not thrilled about that. Jermaine Johnson at 26, not thrilled about that. Sauce Gardner at four, not thrilled about that. That's my biggest winner. My biggest loser of the draft. To me, it's the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans can't decide if they're in win-now mode or in rebuild mode. Because I thought they were in win-now mode. But you traded away A.J. Brown, almost one-to-one, for Traylon Burks. You could have kept A.J. Brown with a below-market contract. And then you drafted Malik Willis. Are you rebuilding? Are you in win-now mode? I thought you were in win-now mode. That's why you brought back Derrick Henry. That's I thought you were in win-now mode. What, what happened? I don't know if the Titans can try and have their key and eat it too. But for me, they're the losers of the draft so far. So, we did it. We did it, guys. We did all the stuff. We ran for about 30 minutes. We had a good time. Thank you all for joining me. I appreciate it. I got a bunch of people in here late. It's after midnight. My voice is failing me after midnight because, of course, I've been talking to my wife all day about the NFL draft. My voice is beginning to fail me again, which is wonderful because it feels like that's happened quite a bit. And it's after midnight. It's Saturday morning now. It's 12.02. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you had a fun time. I hope you're liking the way this draft's going so far for the Buffalo Bills. And I hope you didn't leave hungry.